Really don't mind if you sit this one out My words but a whisper, deafness ain't shout Welcome back to Life MMA in the NBA. I'm your host, TJ San Marco. That was Jethro Tull with Thick as a Brick from the acoustic recording, courtesy of Apple Music. Joining me tonight so far is my amazing co-host, Dr. Will Wu. How are you, sir? Oh, the reliable one. <laughs> the reliable one of us, too. <laughs> because, okay. I, because of that, I got verbal praise from dj before the start uh you know will's like you know what i got a phd i'll be late if i want mother okay you ain't gonna do <laughs> so he's like i'll heel hook your white mother that's definitely, what will's saying man definitely not that it's more like show up on time or eat some more so <laughs> and you know will for me i don't first of all did you hear the music did you hear jethro tull Yes, that was okay. very Jethro-esque. Thick as a brick. Okay, we're going to have different music for uh, for our guests tonight. Hopefully Nick is going to join us. Uh, but you know what? For me, I don't even think you'd give me the courtesy of an out, outside heel hook. I feel like you'd rock an inside heel hook where there's it's even less of a margin of safety. <laughs> if is we that fair? Rolling, if, we, if we were rolling and I was – if I was so lucky – to get that advantageous position on He's you. about to lie, everybody. Go ahead, Will. You'd let it go before <laughs> what? Before I wouldn't even I wouldn't even crank it. I would just hold it there <laughs> so you knew and then I just smile and then we move on. And then I go right and then I what where's the part where I go to see the orthopedic surgeon? Like is that never. so that's not even No? Never. Okay. Never. Okay. Never. If y'all believe that I have some land in some oceanfront property in Brooklyn to sell you. Uh, so anyway. Some space, some space yeah, to do. sell. All right, so that's uh, Life, MMA, and the NBA. I'm DJ San Marco. Once again, it's Dr. Will Wu of Cal State Long Beach. He is the professor of motor control and learning. Tonight, we rock a little more about UFOs with a first-person experience uh, that was 40 years in the making for me to talk about. Uh, and the other gentleman who's coming on with us tonight is Mr. Kenny Good. And Kenny Good is also a New Yorker. He and I saw the UFO together and agreed not to talk about it within a minute after it occurring. So um, until last episode, until last episode, I discussed it. And thankfully, Will took the reins of the show and interviewed me. And similarly, he is going to interview Kenny while I will be silent so I do not implant my memories into Kenny. And we'll see what happens after. It was literally about 40 years ago because, you know, I'm 53. So we're figuring we're talking 13, 14, 15. So it could be anywhere from 38 to 40 years ago. Uh, because I moved away. So I know by the time I was 15, I was gone. So this will be really intriguing. So when we return, hopefully two things are going to happen, Will. Our Japanese co-host, Nick Kazono, will join us. Uh-huh. And then Kenny Good, my brother from New York City, will join us. Oh, baby, that means good things for peeps. So, yeah, I hope that's going to happen. And then we'll probably hit on uh, a couple of MMA topics, and we'll see if, if Will had seen anything interesting in the NBA 
uh, this past week. Maybe Steph Curry rocking 60 po- 62 points saying, y'all forgot now, didn't you? Y'all forgot, I'm going to show you. 6-2. So uh, one love to Steph Curry. So w- when we come back, we should have Mr. Kenny Good and hopefully Mr. Nick Cazono. So we'll be right back on Life, MMA, and the NBA. Welcome back to Life MMA and the NBA. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, or as my brother Kenny Good knows me, Dave San Marco. And we've only known each other for somewhere around 40 or 41 years. I don't know how long it was. We we're probably like 12 when we met. Um, so I'm DJ San Marco. And once again, joining us, uh, Dr. Will Wu and I, is my friend of many years. From New York City, calling from, uh, actually, are you in Brooklyn? No, you're in Long Island again, right? No, Queens. I'm Queens. Queens. Rockaway Rock- <laughs> Beach. Okay. So like, that is Mr. Kenny Good, my friend who is trying to hit all four boroughs. So I think we only need to get to Manhattan, the Bronx, and maybe if you could do a short stint in Staten Island, we'll be all set, Kenny, okay? All right. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> go ahead. I was in Staten Island once. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, so we only have two to go. We're good. Uh, um, so Kenny, it, now no, that was her name, Staten Island. That was what? That was her name. That was her name. <laughs> you get it? No. Oh, yeah, that was Staten the girl. That was her name. Okay. <laughs> that was where you were with Kyra, right? If I remember correctly. All right, so uh, yeah. Ken, Kenny, is your yeah. accent more Brooklyn or more Long Island? More Brooklyn. All right. Yep. <laughs> I, that's where I live from. I lived in Brooklyn most of my uh, adult life. You want to hear my kid's broken accent? You guys chill out, man. Enough is enough. All right. <laughs> All right, so, so there's Kenny's kids in the background. Like every parent, he has to wrangle. And joining us also... The co-host that you guys have not heard tonight is the sociology major, the Gracie, the Gracie Purple Belt, and the uh, heavy metal bass player, Nick Cazono. Nick, how are you this evening, my friend? Hello, hello, everybody. Sorry about the, the late entrance. I am, I am so glad you could join us. Say hello to my friend, Kenny Good, of many, many years. Um, heard good stuff about you, Kenny Good. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Kenny? Had a good time. Yeah, yeah, DJ told uh, told us the story last episode about uh, ah, your, your UFO. ah ah, but I I told you, but the yeah. reason that Kenny is here is well, one of the reasons he is here, other than to tell you what a meathead I was growing up, because uh, he saw he saw it all up at the ranch. Um, is is he's going to tell the story from his perspective? So I'm going to be quiet now, and I'm going to turn the show over to Doctor Will Wu and Nick. Okay. Good to have you on the show, Kenny. Just to start off, so last episode of the show, DJ drops a subtle, like the most subtle bomb 
probably that I've that I've ever experienced was he says he has a UFO sighting. And then he said that he that was the very first time that he's actually mentioned it since the incident happened. And you were, I guess the both of you were like 13 years old at the time, right? Yeah, we were 13 years old. My parent, my mother worked at the ranch and his parents owned the ranch and we were like real good buddies. And, uh, you know, we were always palling around going back and forth and uh, we were walking over there and, and we seen him hovering over the, I, I, I kind of think it was the pasture, but my memory is not too great, but we were walking from his house, coming back to the ranch and we saw some crazy lights and something hovering over. And then, uh, you know, we couldn't believe what we seen. And my, I was telling my kids about it before, and they said maybe it was a, a drone that they were building secretly back then. <laughs> and I think that. So, but, so DJ, DJ hadn't said anything about it to anyone, right, DJ? No, or, only Kenny. Kenny and I talked about it in uh, probably 2010. It was the year before I left the Air Force. I got Kenny's number from him on Facebook. I called him when I was at Dallas-Fort Worth in the airport waiting on a flight. And within two minutes of our conversation, I would say, right, Kenny? I said, hey, Kenny, I just got to ask you about the UFO thing. I said, that really happened, right? And he said, that really happened. And that was really, we really didn't talk about it other than then. And I didn't, haven't talked to him about it since. Okay, so one week ago, seventy-three years later, he actually said something. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, he actually, he said something to us, and it was like I had to double take a little bit. But I want to ask you first. Um, DJ didn't say anything about it to anyone until he spoke to you about it. But what was your approach to it? Did you did you choose uh, not to say anything to anyone? No, I I actually think I mentioned to people, but people think I'm out of my mind anyway, so they don't really believe much I say. Still to this day, <laughs> I tell people things that happened to me though that I've done, and they completely don't believe it. All right, so I mean, I, that's something that I would that I would suspect, right? Because up until <laughs> relatively recently, I think most people would think of people who see UFOs as a little bit cuckoo in nature. But now, now that we have some additional evidence, some official evidence, like government kind of it government basically admitting that there, there are these unidentified flying objects that they can't explain, that technology that's far, way far advanced than us, um, maybe it's actually becoming a little bit more okay to kind of talk about these sorts of things. And maybe that's the reason why, you know, DJ felt okay about saying it initially. Um, but, oh, go ahead, DJ. So the only thing I was going to say, uh, Ken, uh, about this whole thing, because again, I don't want to, I don't want to put my memory into you, but I do. If I'm correct, we said that night. Well, I said, should we? Because you were staying over at my house, I was like, should we tell my parents? And we're like, no, nah, there's no way. Like, they're not going to believe us. Let's not even <laughs> bother. They're just going to laugh, and we're going to feel stupid. So yeah, that's what, if, I, if I told my mother I saw your phone, she'd be like, "Yeah, okay, get out of here." <laughs> yeah, that, so we we made that decision that night that we weren't going to tell them about it. But okay, that's all I've got. I'm, I'm so I actually think the narrative changed a little bit, and that's you know that's one of the reasons why we're we're on the show talking about it now. So let's go back. Let's go back to that evening. Um, describe DJ did a good job of describing from his point of view, although it's 83 years later. Describe this <laughs> He's what making happened. me older. <laughs> what what happened? 
Um, can you go through it in as much detail as you can um, that night, kind of uh, leading up to the event and the actual event itself? I don't know. I have a bad memory. Maybe they erased our memory also. <laughs> <laughs> but but I just remember coming over from his house and, uh, you know, we were always walking around and we were always joking and always getting in trouble and doing bad things. And uh, we were walking over, going back to the ranch. And I remember something just being being out there that didn't belong. And we looked and we watched. And then, you know, it had some crazy lights on it. And then it was as fast as we seen it. It just was bam. And it took off and it was gone. And then, so what what you know that, what was it that caught your attention? Uh, the lights. Like the, okay. Something that didn't belong. You know, it had a presence to it. So, so you, you guys are basically, uh, that part of New York is basically forest, correct? And it's pitch dark? Yeah, not, not, I don't know, it's Westchester, it's semi, you know, it's not really forest, forest. There's mm. houses and stuff around, but it's pretty desolate. Like if you compare it to here. Okay. Like I've never seen one here, that's for sure. So you mentioned the lights. Can you talk not, specifically? Not that anyone would believe me if I told them I did. <laughs> Can you talk specifically about the lights and what were they? What were the lights like? I don't really remember. Almost like a like you see one of those little drone shows now where they they go in unison with each other. Okay, so they were on one on one craft. There are multiple individual lights that you saw, or is just like one continuous glowing light on the craft. No, I think it was like four or six different lights. I don't know if they were even lights, though. They were like, you know, bright, but they weren't lights, so to speak. Oh, interesting. Okay. Can you remember color? Were they flashing? Were they continuous or anything like that? I I think they were clear, and I think they were on. And then they were gone, like... All right. And what's the total time you guys saw it for? Very quick. I don't know. Not, not, Not very long. Not very okay. And very we, quick. Describe they to me. They probably wanted to get away from us. They were probably <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. I try to do that all the time, and DJ somehow tracks tracks us down, and so he probably <laughs> did that to you. But <laughs> describe to me the movement of it. Uh, I just it was there, hovering over. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was hovering over. It was just standing in one spot, and then it was gone. Like, so you know. So everybody, like people might say, well, it's got to, it's got to have some kind of distinction that makes you think that this is not something normal. If you could pinpoint anything well, I, that so, was it. When I was in, I was in Puerto Rico once when I was a little kid and I could have sworn I thought I saw one. It was like hovering over the ocean and we were staying in an oceanfront hotel. I was a little kid and it was just hovering over the ocean and, and just staying in the same spot and it was a round circular object and kept spinning 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 and then it just went straight up in the air and it was gone and that same. was you know in the 70s it had to be they didn't have any technology like that back then i, I just especially i just want to clarify i'm sorry did I it just, look the same as what you saw what'd you say um, with, did it look the same as what you saw with and i told i actually told my mother about that one and she didn't <laughs> no one's gonna believe you Oh, what I was going to interject about it is uh, I think what Will is asking you 
uh, to clarify is he's asking you, is there something about it that made you say this is not an airplane, this is not a helicopter, this is not a blimp? Is that what you were basically asking? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, helicopters and blimps. I mean, you know, it could have been a, it could have been a weather balloon kind of undeflated or something like that, but I don't think so. You know, it wasn't a balloon. It wasn't a helicopter. You know, it was an, it was a, it was an object. It wasn't like a, you know, and there was no way that a plane could fly like that or, or really anything. I mean, if a balloon filled up really fast and took off up, it might, or if it lost all its air, it might be able to take off like that. But I don't know. I don't think it was a water, a balloon of any kind. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember. So were there, were there, exactly. con- were there, I know any- it wasn't like, you know, an object that anything that we would see really. I know this is, it's kind of a long time for you, but like, what are some of the major similarities between Puerto Rico yeah. and the New York sighting? And, where, and what are the shit. differences? Fuck. I think I seen a mouse go by. <laughs> 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 Great. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't know. There, it wasn't really any comparison. The one in, in Puerto Rico I saw. It, it was probably around that age too and it was like a it was like a top looking thing and it was hovering over the water and it almost looked like a tornado but it was again you know there was no top to it and then it spun 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 and then it just went and it flew away and that mm-hmm. and then it was gone like in like a flash of a second and the one in new york was shaped differently huh was the one? How was the yeah. shape of the object in New York that you saw? I don't. It didn't really have a shape. It was more like it wasn't oval, but it wasn't round. It wasn't square. Why, guys? Sorry. Come on, this is a show here, Kenny. We got to keep yeah, it moving. Yeah. We got listeners. Go on. Yeah. So. <laughs> So I just, I, it doesn't really remember. You know what? I, I've actually seen a picture in the paper lately of some myst, mystical looking object. Like, and it's, it's not round, but it's not square. It's, it's not oval. I don't know if you saw that one. It almost looks like a petrified tree whale kind of thing, but it wasn't I, as big as that. I think was, you, you, you have yeah. to have a certain vantage point on it to see a shape and, and see it for a certain amount of time. And we didn't see it long enough to even, we're seeing a 2D almost like a 2D image of it, of where it was compared to where we were. So you really couldn't tell. A lot of the Yorktown Heights people have seen triangular ones, but at least from ours, I don't remember being able to discern what shape. I remember multicolored of lights and weird, like strange looking lights, not aviation, what we would call anti-collision lights, Mm. which is what you would see on a helicopter or yeah, they weren't it, any color really, right? They were just they, they, there like, was with strange colors, different lights, colors. Yeah. Any, yeah. 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 So DJ went now since, since you and Kenny, you and Kenny haven't, I mean, you haven't spoken to this about Kenny for a while. No, uh, we haven't talked about the issues of the incident. What I saw, what he saw since that, I don't even know in 2010, 10 years ago, if we discussed 
the detail of it. It was more like, did that happen? Because I think, I, I don't know if I dreamed that that happened. And he said, no, that happened. And I just remember that we made the decision because we were staying at my house and we were going to see my uh, my mom or dad and not his. And we we're like, okay, are we going to tell? And then I'm like, I don't think we should tell because they're just going to, they're just going to think. <laughs> and even I told my father this week and he, he, he knows he wouldn't have believed me. There's no way. Yeah. I told my mother too. She said, there's no way you saw you. Oh, like, hey, that's all so, we probably didn't tell him. They probably like, yeah, yeah. No. And I, I know, I know we, we just said we're not going to tell, we're not going to tell them because they're not going to believe us. And I remember us waking up the next morning and being like, holy shit, you believe that happened last night, dude? It was just crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys are both in pretty much a hundred percent agreement of you saw something that was different. Um, so now that you kind of hear the official information that's coming out from U.S. government, even I want to say there was, was there uh, an Israeli intelligence official or something like that? I could be wrong. Stop me if I'm wrong. There was a Bulgarian guy. There yeah. was a Brazilian guy. So talking if, about that movie, The Phenomenon. Yeah. If you're talking about you have what the mass public would think like these are official serious guys who are in these positions that would know about these things so it's it's not a kooky thing right and so how do you guys internalize that of it being it's real of what you saw and what you saw in this new information that's coming out how do you internalize that how do you how is your approach to the world the universe uh based on what you saw in this new information that's coming out now do you want to go first, Kenny, or you want me to go? Yeah, I go first. Well, I always thought we weren't alone out there. There's got to be something else out there. And uh, I, I just don't understand how the government could keep it on the wraps for so long but so many people. But there's got to be something else out there. I, I always thought so anyway. But, you know, no, I've never seen any definite proof or anything like that. And I don't know, you know. If they just make people disappear who talk about it or something. I, I can actually – I can answer that. Um, well, there's a couple of things. The security clearance and if you see the movie The Phenomenon, which the three of us have seen and I hope you're going to see here very shortly, Ken, will tell you that even the president of the United States doesn't have a clearance that will allow him to access to the information about – real ufo sightings that the government has documented and the reason is because he's missing one element that's required to gain access to top secret information and one of them is the need to know and he they don't feel like a person who's going to be there for four years potentially has a need to know clinton tried to find out he couldn't find out other presidents have tried to find out and they won't give them access to that information that's one thing the other thing is that they feel like the American public can't handle knowing that there are spacecraft that can come in and out of our airspace with impunity. And now the Navy, they finally <laughs> released those two videos to – there was a guy who was undersecretary of defense for intelligence, a guy named Christopher Mellon. And he had a friend he, – he got out of government service because he was part of the program of uh, the ATIP program, Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. 
he knew that the government was hiding things, so he left the government, but he got someone to walk out of the Pentagon and hand him two tapes that were two incidents that occurred with Navy FA-18 pilots that had recorded video of their encounter with UFOs. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's that. And Will, what was the other part of your question? But who knows uh, like what happens? No, Will like, said, how do you feel? So this is the part I want to answer, and I'm going to kick it back over to Kenny. Even seeing the, the account of the police from Yorktown Heights, which is like 10 minutes from my house, didn't give me a feeling like I felt free to go and talk about it. It literally just happened. I didn't even plan on talking to you guys about it on our show. We, we had already planned we were going to talk about UFOs, and I had no plan to tell them. I literally just did it right then because I'm embarrassed to tell people. Like they're not going to believe me. So for some reason, I felt compelled to do it, and thank goodness when I called Kenny, Kenny was willing to talk about it. So do you feel empowered now, Kenny, to, to talk about it more than you did 365 days ago or so? <laughs> yeah, I would talk about it anytime. But, uh, you know, I don't know. A lot of people, I think, are convinced that it doesn't exist and they don't want to hear anything about it. But I always said it's, it's, it's possible. Any, anything's really possible. And, uh, you know, I just don't don't know. I'd like to see one again one day. I'm, I'm always looking. <laughs> I am going to send you... I'm actually going to send you a link for a free. But I'd be happy for, to talk about it. I, I, and I'm going to send you a link for a free viewing of that movie because I'm going to be. I'm curious what you're going to think after you see it. It's on Amazon, and I'm going to send it to your email. So, Nick, do you have anything that yeah. you want to ask, right. or do you want me to just shut up, Nick? What do you got? Man, you guys are kind of hitting everything that I kind of wanted to discuss, and Will is actually very thorough with his questions on sort of hitting all the sort of angles on, you know, what happened to you two and everything like that. Um, and to be honest, I was a bit of a skeptic prior to our last two shows. And then, you know, seeing all the, the evidence and reading a couple articles on the New York times and, you know, Will and yourself, DJ chiming in and everything. And then, you know, your, your personal account as well. I thought, oh, okay, there might be something more to this. And after seeing the, the movie, the phenomenon and everything like that, you know, it's quite a few uh, pretty high up, intelligent, sort of uh, well-respected individuals that pilots, pilots, military, FAA, <laughs> you know, um, governors, polit politicians, and yeah, even you know. But that's what I mean. Like, why don't they release all that stuff? Because I mean, people got to be interested in it, know about it. And if it's out there, it's out there. It's not like, you know, uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think they're just trying to. Maybe, maybe they'd be good for us. Yeah, I think so. But I think the. Come and make peace for us. Yeah, I think they're <laughs> trying to just delicately handle it now that a lot of this information is up and everything. So they just don't want maybe a lot of, I don't know, either blowback or negativity coming from it or maybe hysteria or people just kind of freaking out i don't know i mean they're they're approaching it with pretty good caution and i feel like back in the, like years ago it was just like no like we're not even gonna let anyone know about this because they were just kind of scared of what might might happen or how people might react in general 
Yeah, I'm not so sure worldwide. I can't speak for worldwide, but just what I've seen, you know, relatively lately of how U.S. citizens respond to different things. Keep that thing a secret. Yep. <laughs> we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The overall the average. Yeah, I guess average, maybe people act a little differently. If they yeah. thought the average U.S. Actually. citizen is is barely able to comprehend you know, some <laughs> basic things, and they're not able to comprehend some basic things. So the pessimistic side of me is, yeah, we don't deserve to know. Um, I I can't imagine how how the average American maybe. would tweak it or pervert it in in some some specific way. Um, yeah, it just I keep it. I, I would just say you're you guys are right. Keep it a secret. Do we want to know just for the sake of shock? Yes, but do I want to see what happens to uh, society in the U.S. and what in the world, how people basically maybe pervert we'll, it? I don't want to see it. Maybe we get along better. <laughs> yeah, the alien. I'm sure if they if they come down and Kenny, when you see this, I'm gonna just real quickly. I'll sort of. Uh, preview what we're going to talk about after you leave us we're going to talk about the movie and there was a school in Zimbabwe in 1994 so this is not all that long ago um you had school children out on the playground as they will do it's a private school and literally a UFO landed adjacent to their playground and you had 64 kids run over to this spacecraft and they had a Harvard psychiatrist named John Mack go over and interview these students to find out the validity of what they're saying. Is this now, first of all, one or two kids can make up something, but not 64 kids from age six to 12. Right. And they said to a girl, how close were you mm-hmm. to the to this being that. So not only did they see the craft land, but beings came out of it, which they all drew pictures of what it looked like. And they all look basically the same. And they said, how close were you? And the girl stuck her arm out, and she goes from here to there. Basically within arm's reach. Yeah, one, one of the girls said a meter away, which is like around three feet. So that's crazy. Yeah, three feet. <laughs> I mean... It's a true story, the movie? It's a true story, yeah. Based on true story? Yeah. Well, no, well, you're going to... a lot of other things. Yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot it's of other things. Kenny, it's not a movie per se. It's a documentary. Yeah. It's a wow. documentary. Yeah. I'm going to send you I'm going to send you uh, a viewing of it, Kenny, so you can it'll come to your email. Okay? I'll send you like a an Amazon gift card and the link and all that shit so you can but watch if you, it. You, if you just think about why they keep it secret, at first you'd say, well, you know, people have a right to know good things can happen, you know, maybe it, it coalesces everyone they'll save us us, from each other (laughs) a singular way of thinking and then i go people don't even like people don't even take vaccines man so like people don't even understand like basic science and so how how can you how can you expect them to internalize and act in the right way something that is well beyond their ability to their ability to think about a situation or a problem i don't think i don't think we handle it well yeah, we're not handling anything well very now, right now, uh, unfortunately. But um, I always hope for greater things to come in. Uh, I don't in think life. it's right. I don't think it's right now, DJ. I think it's a reflection of who we are as a 
We are. You mean since 1863, like around the, the Civil War? <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. Okay. I so. mean, it's just brutal. So I'm like, we right. keep it a secret. <laughs> All right. All right. We're going to. Um, we're. I think we're done with Kenny. I want Kenny. Um, Kenny was basically there for most of the idiotic things I did as a teenager, uh, which I hope you know he won't share with us now. Uh, <laughs> but, Some good times in the choir. Back yes, then. we were both in the choir. Yeah, I'll tell you what. We okay. Just Nick and Will, Kenny and I were in and around. So pre, you know, pre driver's license. So we're talking thirteen. Oh, yeah. 14. We were in and around New York City, Brooklyn, uh, places that we definitely shouldn't have been. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to be here right now. And I, I think, Kenny, are you glad to be alive? Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm really, <laughs> really happy to be alive. <laughs> so, um, Kenny, my brother, I want to thank you. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be in touch with you on that other issue specifically uh, i'll make sure i get you that and i'll call you but i want to thank you so much for joining us you've been my friend for so many years and just been a great friend always uh and yeah. somebody that i could trust um and that i well, spent a lot of time with my pleasure to come on here and Thanks, uh Kenny. you guys out Thanks, and Kenny. nice to meet you guys yeah, thanks nice for having me too. on i wish i could remember a little more but you know a long time ago Right, no crazy no time worries, flies. Right. It is totally, man. But Thanks I appreciate it. Me. Have a great night, all right? Dave, all right, brother. See you soon. Have fun in Vermont. All right, brother. Take care, guys. Take care. care. Thank you. All right. All right. God bless America. See you later. Bye bye. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, everybody, thank you. Bye, Kenny. See you, Kenny. All right, guys. Um. So yeah, that was um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of. There's a lot, a lot of meat on the bone. He could probably do, uh, he could probably do a good thirty minutes just telling uh, Kenny and Dave stories about trouble that we got into, and that's why I'm, I'm just so happy that we're here. Uh, him, Kenny, just real quickly lived in a really uh, kind of a town that you wouldn't associate with Long Island called Atlantic Beach. It's relatively close to Queens. Uh, it's close to Jones Beach. You guys have probably heard of Jones Beach. Uh, but it's like this exclusive little island. And I remember going to visit him out there. And then something happened with his mother's work situation where he had to move to Brooklyn. And you could imagine moving to Brooklyn as a teenager and going to uh, high school uh, or even, you know, late middle school or high school, how difficult that would be and, and how to toughen up real, real quick. Um, to do that. And, um, and I remember going and staying with him in Brooklyn as well. So Kenny definitely went through a lot and, um, and came out the other side, uh, unscathed. So, um, I'm ha I was happy to uh, spend that much time with him. So nice. yes. Anyway, Nick Cazano has joined us, Nick. Um, so I we, <laughs> I goofed up. I'm sorry, guys. It's okay. I, I, it's okay. I don't know. I just, I thought the sound check was at six, but then I was late to that. So then I was actually the show. I was like, "Oh no, gosh!" Typical so <laughs> musician. You know Pretty what? Much, um, yeah. We're three. We're three uh, meatheads that are also intelligent uh, at the same time. So we all screw up, and that's okay. So yes. we, we go well together. 
I'll consider myself semi-intelligent. Um, I don't think we would agree with you on that, Nick. Um, but anyway, let's um, let's let's go into some of the movie, Nick. And now that you just watched it, so it's fresh. Um, tell me what we. And I, I also want to just alert you guys to one thing. I had mentioned to you about the Vimeo or Vimeo, however you say that, video streaming uh, website that's kind of like a YouTube. There is some additional content on there. And some of it is chaff and some of it is wheat. Um, There is a video of somebody at their house videoing a UFO for probably 15 minutes hovering up above and it is one of the it's also in maybe 1995 so imagine somebody out there with some sort of sony uh camcorder right that was really popular back at the time and you could see the road this one had sort of it looked like rotating um the, the lights look like they were kind of like rotating underneath it. So this is different than some of the other craft that I've seen. And you see this guy and he's adjusting and he's moving his camera and it was, and he's zooming in, he's zooming out to give you perspective, you know, so it's not just, you know, you, you um, not easily fakeable, you know, those kinds of things. And it was fascinating. Another thing that I wanted to tell you guys about that is, maybe even more compelling is about the JAL flight that happened around Alaska. First of all, have either of you guys aware of the JAL flight? No, no, I'm not aware. Okay. Negative. Okay. So, so this very high up FAA official is telling about, um, and this is at the national press club. So you saw those snippets from the national press club where Colonel, uh, Charles Halt, from uh, RAF Bentwaters and different pilots and different uh, people involved in the U- uh, that had UFO sightings. The gentleman from New Mexico, I can't remember what his name was. He was a captain, a missileer in the Air Force. of. Uh, he was of a uh, Mexican derivation. I can't remember his name now. But he spoke about the incident out at Montana, right? So that National yeah, Press Club yeah, yeah. Uh, speech goes a long period of time. One of the speakers was a guy from the FAA. And he's talking about radar footage they captured of a large craft. So basically, you have a JAL flight flying to Alaska from somewhere in California. And they call air traffic and say, I have what appears to be a large craft in front of my and uh, my 747. And they're like, yeah, you know, we have it on radar. And they gave him a turn. And when they made a turn... The craft moved in front of him again. And he made another turn, moved in front of him again. So it's about 20 miles out in front of him, but it's big, right? So they gave him a 180-degree turn. And then the craft once again came in front of him. So this encounter went on. So you have a couple fly pilots from JAL that are like, they were fairly calm considering you can hear the entire audio. If you want to go on YouTube, you can hear the audio. But the FAA official talks about that basically they completely swept that incident under the rug. And he has the the uh, radar data. He has all the uh, teletype sheets and all that from everything. 
uh, that it plotted out and what they saw and what happened. And uh, the government tried to deny that that's what it was, that it was what it was. So um, if you ever go and you re-engage with this or you haven't, don't have it rented, you know, like if you buy it for whatever. But if you go watch the Vimeo because there's some more stuff on there. That's all I got to say about that. Isn't that interesting, Will? Try to act interested. It's very interesting. Okay, I'll send. Okay, Nick. So while so give it, so give Nick, give me some of your impressions. And while I do, while you're doing that, I'm going to find the audio for you and send it to you on on your uh, messenger. Yeah. Well, I mean, one really interesting thing is they started off with the town that I live in, McMinnville, Oregon. That's where I currently live in. So, oh, really? Yeah. So I I've mentioned to will i think last show that yeah. uh mcminnville does a ufo fest every year granted not this year because of covid but every year they do a ufo fest and that fest is based on that photo that they sort of talked about in in you know the beginnings of uh the documentary from farmer trent and it was like the 1950s and I think he, I think his wife saw it and then he, he had the camera out or maybe he saw it and then his wife had the camera out and she took this picture and they blew it up and they put it like on a storefront or something and whatever it, it, it started to gain, you know, national attention and everything like that. But they, they made recently, last like 20 years, I think in the town, they made it a, a, a fest where 20,000 people come every year to, uh, the town i live in and they just they have all these sort of uh seminars and people dress up and it, it's just you know some people you know people get really excited it's like a convention so it's like people go there that are serious about ufos other people go there just to have a good time and it's kind of a mixed mash of all this stuff so I, I thought it was interesting when they brought that up and everything like that so and I'm, I'm i'm familiar with that story so that was quite interesting but i mean there was other points in the film that were a lot more that had a lot more depth to it like yeah the zimbabwe incident which i went to when i was at the i think the last ufo fest i was working at a restaurant and that restaurant actually held some of the events there some of the speakers and so i worked one of the events and actually served uh the people that were part of that one event and it was about that zimbabwe incident so they had two girls from i think one of them was in the film maybe two mm -hmm. of them i don't i don't I, I was looking very closely to see if uh it was it was uh the right people or not that i saw but yeah it was interesting it was very interesting so it's just crazy to fathom that these kids were you know at arm's length from you know these beans and this whole thing so it's kind of at the time i was like i don't believe i mean it was really hard to believe because you're just they're just you know these people that are just telling you this story and it was just like what <laughs> I, I have a i have a question so. for i have a question for you guys uh, uh oh my light just went out here hotel drama here man how did i just, I just touched i must have grounded something out all right i'm gonna well it doesn't matter you know you guys don't care if you see me anyway um okay will if if what happened to the kids in Zimbabwe at the Ariel School in 1994, if a craft landed, first of all, A, would you run over to it as they did? <laughs> yeah. Uh... And if and, and then and then I want Nick to answer this. And if you did run over to it and you saw beings emerge, 
would you walk to within arm's length of one of them? No, I would not run over to it. I would not be one of the first ones. Um, I would do the, <laughs> I guess in the military, there's a guy like on point, right? Mm -hmm. I let those kids be, or I let other people, I, I'd, I'd be a kid too, but I'd let the other kids be the kids on point and I would sit back in <laughs> And observe that's just kind of i guess my conservative approach to it or me rationalizing hey is this something that i want to be do i want to take the chance of being the front guy on this so to speak and then even i was just kind of thinking about it in terms of what you and kenny and other people who have cited these things i don't even think i'd say anything right you talk about the jal um pilots I don't even think I'd say anything. Like, I'd just be like, I don't want to, like, I'd rather not talk about it. Just because of all the baggage that comes with it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't run out there. Um, but no, I, would it, I mean, adult insert. will. I don't mean will, oh, child will. I mean, adult will. No, adult will would definitely not run out there. I would observe to see how they interacted. <laughs> but be close enough so I can get some kind of account. Of what's going on what if nobody was there so there it just you alone saw it you're out walking uh, your dog i probably do the same thing i border on i need to be far enough to where i feel safe but close enough to where i can get some detail about what's happening nicholas i mean if i were with a group of people i would naturally want to follow that group of people because I think instinctually I would just naturally follow kind of the crowd. Mm -hmm. I think that's just how I operate. So if it was like a group of adults or something or a group of people around my age, um, I would probably follow them. But I would err on the side of caution. Like we would say, <laughs> I would probably be in more in the back. I wouldn't be You're right back, up there. Way back. Yeah. Exactly. You know, in case some of the, some people in front of me start to disintegrate, I could just kind of run away. So, <laughs> <laughs> But uh but no, I mean, my curiosity would, 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 you know, instinctually make me want to observe what was going on, but I wouldn't be in the front lines kind of getting in there and trying to interact with these things. I mean, even... Nobody's running know, point the, here. Jeez. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. tailing oh. Charlie. You're asking the and wrong guys. Even there's no yeah, pojada. Even there's no pojada with Nick and I. No, I mean, honestly, I don't think I would. Even, I, I don't think I would either. I think if I was the, the age those kids were... I would probably run up to it like they did, I'm sure. But I think if I were not, if I were this age, I would be worried about what they would do. Like, would they try to take me aboard the craft or would something like that happen? So I don't, I don't know that I would run up to them. Yeah, it's just that you, just don't, know. The, uh, well, yeah, well, you don't know. You can, you can rationalize it and say, if they wanted to hurt us, we'd be gone already. Right. You can rationalize it that way, but it's just the unknown that's that's you don't know, and that that draws you back. Let, let me ask you guys real quick: Does anybody need a break, or are we good to keep going? We're good, Nick. Good. Yeah, good. Uh, okay, now <laughs> Nick is not Nick's not wanting to affirm with a thumbs up. He's just like, yeah, I'm good, Holmes. Yeah. So, um, okay, was, you know, definitely not Joe Cocker at Woodstock with enthusiasm, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, um, back to the Zimbabwe incident though it's yeah. it's 
that's a that's that's scary. I mean, it just even being their age and then having that sort of. I mean, when they were like when I saw that documentary and then they they mentioned the Zimbabwe and then I mentioned it to you guys too and I'm like I don't know if it was the same account and it was when I went to that UFO fest for my for you know my job and everything. I mean, it was I was like, first of all, initially I didn't believe it, but then I was like, if this was real, this would be scary. That's scary. I mean, that, even if you're with the, the so, you know, your whole class of 64 people, I mean, that's like, and the way they described it at the, at the, uh, the seminar or sort of, um, the, the spe speaking panel. Their TED had, talk. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their TED talk. I mean, it was basically just four people, I think or three or four people just kind of, uh, describing what they saw and everything i mean they said it was like they were in a trance like these two ladies were like we, we weren't we couldn't move we could i mean it was just like they were locked in like they couldn't physically move it was like sometimes you have the i don't know if you have like you have the dream and then you have the you know the, and then you're, you can't wake up or you're trying to get out of the dream but you can't you're kind of just stuck there that's it that's how they described it and i was like that sounds awful <laughs> sounds scary especially if someone were that close so now they said at that uh that seminar that i mean some kids were far like w farther away others were closer i mean they're obviously 64 kids that are all kind of spread apart so some were closer than others and everything like that but yeah it's i mean that's pretty... well, well let me just pick out something interesting and by the way we're going to use a prodigious use of when we disagree with each other say i want to push back on something you said right will yes <laughs> so, so feel free um to use that unnecessarily uh, as and, and prodigiously as possible. But, okay, so you said if, like you are, I feel like a part of you still is not sure, Nick, that you believe it because when you just said is is uh, a minute ago, I, and I don't have the quote because I didn't want to interrupt you, but you said uh, if this happened or something like that, is if you're not sure, are you not sure that you believe them? And I'll tell you why I asked that after you answer the question. I mean, yes, I do. I just, I, I keep on recalling how I felt prior to how I feel now, because those are two different takes that I have. So, my initial take before reading into this and seeing the documentary, no, I didn't believe them at all. I was like, these guys, these people are just a bunch of quackadoodles and everything. Because, I mean, they had this like Joe Schmo guy who's kind of like a creepy dude, just. I'm talking about just those guys, though. Just let's just talk about the Zim because you I'm said saying. the Zimbabwe. Okay, that's 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 that's, that's what I'm referring to. There was the schmo. So, okay, I just this the schmo guy who oh, he's been working on this documentary for ten years, and obviously it never came out, or maybe it did, and no one cared about it. But okay, I mean, okay. So the the legitimacy that's, again, yeah. like from this guy, was not like he didn't really have a whole lot of credibility, and then he had these people there that. We were at this so-called thing that happened and mm -hmm. one lady was very believable like she was very concise i mean she had a level-headed she had a good level head with her and she seemed very believable the other lady was just kind of and i think she was the school teacher in the documentary uh one of the ladies who, um who was, uh, she was like a school teacher and everything and i'm like i think i remember seeing or no no she wasn't a school teacher she was the uh the social worker and everything of one of okay. the one of the kids and i'm like i'm pretty sure i saw her speaking she she just her her 
her her recollection of what happened and her stories were just kind of off the wall like she said she was like levitating when she was older and she was like seeing all this stuff and, and well, I was it, like well it, it, it may have had I a profound it may have had a profound effect on her life but as exactly, a, yeah definitely. but that 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 screwed her up because if i saw something like that that within arm's length i don't know how i would be today uh and those people have to carry an extremely heavy weight and what i want to ask you will as a scientist and i have two scientific questions that i'm going to ask you one is about one of the subjects and the second one is going to be about what you believe as a scientist that these beings understand because as someone said they didn't they didn't land at the missile site and get out and say hey guys we're here but they looked for a soft target or uh, a more welcoming environment in the school. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the young lady. And forgive me because I don't remember her name. It's not Miss Sidhu. It was the, the, for lack of a better description, the light-skinned black woman who did the most of the interviews that was televised, uh, that was uh, recorded by the phenomenon in the interview with Dr. Mack, when I look into that girl's eyes, there is not an ounce of me that says this girl is not telling the truth. This, I said to my wife, this girl didn't even blink when she was recounting that story. So, Will, as a scientist, please. Yeah, I, I look at it as if we can look at it from a research design perspective. Right. And we're looking at we're basically evaluating qualitative data and qualitative data is not an objective measurable um, item. It's right. It's not measuring height. We're not measuring how fast you run or how you jump. We're asking you to recount a story. And then based on that story, we're we're drawing information about it. It's really hard data to deal with, especially um, on an end of one level. Right, we call those case studies, and case studies may not apply to the entire population. Mm -hmm. So when I look at when I look at it, like accounts like that, I kind of look at it as this is qualitative data. And what you generally want to do with qualitative data is you want to look for specific things from a methodological standpoint. So as a researcher, if I'm going over, I'm getting qualitative data. I'm really concerned with accuracy. Um, I'm really concerned with what their motivation is for answering a question a certain way, because some people want to look better, right? So they're going to answer a question a certain way. And then I'm looking for kind of general overall consistencies and general overall displays of what the science would say. And so this is kind of what we talked about in, um, in, the, in the last episode was you have numerous people that were that that are far removed from each other for multiple, for many years, but yet they're still very, very consistent, right? And we know that forgetting, like in the, in the cognitive psychology data, um, we have these ways that we reconstruct memories and that's a real thing, how we reconstruct memories. And so now we're having this over a long period of time and there's a lot of consistency. So if you were to ask me just one person do I believe one person? I'm going to say, it's not that I don't believe them, right? It's, that's not it. It's not whether I believe them or don't believe them. It's a matter of what can I draw from what they're saying and 
how can I match that up with other reports or, or right or other witnesses types of things so I can kind of piece it together in terms of many pieces of a puzzle rather than just that one puzzle pieces the entire thing. And, and so, so that's kind of how I approach that. You're saying times 64. Correct. Like so, yeah, exactly. And so that's 64 data points for me, right? And we know that the more data points that I get, the more... Um, and you wouldn't say the, times the closer, 64? The closer that I, I get, the more like, data points that I have, the closer that I get yeah. to what's happening, Correct. right? Rather than one, it could be a one-off, it could be an outlier, it could be someone who has a specific motivation. Um, it could have been someone who ex actually experienced it, but they just... Um, they didn't recount it well, right? It could be a number, a, a number of those things. So from my standpoint, it's a matter of looking at, not even just like this show, right? Like this phenomenon show, it's not just looking at that, but looking how other shows, interviews, how this information is coming together. Uh, and so that's kind of, that's kind of how I look at these things, right? So I didn't, it didn't really pop into my, concerned consciousness um, until I actually hear public officials who were working on this thing and official releases that, okay, you're right. We admit we have these types of things going on and we don't know what the heck it is. Right. And that's kind of, that opens, that opens the door for me to kind of think about it a little bit more and, and piques my interest. Nick, before you, I'm, you may have something, I just want to say something. So I have 64, and then I have a production staff that decided to zero in on one person. So now I have 64 data points, and I'm going to select one. And, and again, when I look at this person, if I were a law enforcement person, if I were a trained FBI agent, if I were trained in polygraph, if I were trained, you know, in any sort of interrogation tactics, and I don't have formal training in those areas, I have some informal training in those areas uh, based on some schools or classes that I've taken. And when I look at that girl, there is, and having been polygraphed, etc., there is nothing that I see in her that says this person is deceiving or trying to make something up. I'd say as much weight as I could give to much credibility to somebody who is somewhere between the ages of six and 12. I don't know what age she was at the time. She looked like she was about nine or something. I don't know. 10, maybe you guys would probably will. You'd probably know better. Um, you know, because you have kids, like for those of us who yeah. don't have kids, only because of Gracie Baja did I, did I become slightly adept at being able to judge a child's age. But um, uh, she had an extremely high level of credibility given that she is one of 64. So she's got, you know, 63 other data points. But she didn't look like she blinked, like there was... She was completely resolute and completely sure of what she saw. And there was no embellishment on anything that she saw. What do you guys reason, think about that? I think that's the reason why they maybe chose her to sort of feature her in those films and everything. I think 
she was there at the thing that I went to. I think she was featured on this person's documentary that he was working on as well. Her and this other lady and everything. Did you have the same reaction, Nick, to her that I did? Like, you're like, holy shit. She started to question because I went in there like, well, I have to be here. I'm, I'm working. So I'm working the concessions and I'm in this auditorium and here they are. And there's about maybe 30 so people sort of that are audience members that are just, you know, watching this thing. And I think you had to get tickets to see this thing or whatever, see their, their conference and everything. But, you know, I, yeah, she was pretty, like she had a good head on her shoulders and, and everything. And I started to question like, man, maybe, you know, maybe this thing does have some validity to it compared to person who's kind of in charge of like the or the head person that's making this documentary or anything like that I'm not referring to the phenomenon documentary but this other guy that mm-hmm. did this this documentary so yeah i mean she yeah i mean i i i mean you know more about the i don't know a whole lot about the nuances and sort of physical cues from someone's sort of um well, facial I, expressions that would lead you to believe that you know, you're more observant on that and you have more experience with that. But I mean, I do believe that, yeah, she is telling the truth on that and everything like that, especially seeing uh, a lot of the compiling evidence for just this phenomenon in, in general. DJ is basically saying he has experience waterboarding people. No, 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 no. Why no. and they don't lie. In his basement. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Sorry, DJ. I, reveal, I revealed your contract to work. This is this is so cold yeah. of you, Will. This may be his, of all the things job, you've his done. Government job. This may have done of all the things you've done to me. This may be the coldest one. His um, government job. I. I want to uh, let me. I'm just checking out because we're going to talk about. Uh, I did a little bit of research. Okay, it's 91 miles. Okay, got it. Um, but I just I I wanted for my own knowledge. I wanted to know if you guys had the same amount uh, or a, you guys felt had the same visceral reaction to her testimony as I did. That's basically what I was trying to find out. Probably not and, as strong as yours. So, okay. And will I think my, my, my angle is just different from my lens was different from your lens. And I okay. think that's a good thing, right? Cause you're looking at the specific characteristics of that n of one right now i'm looking at more general consistencies between each person Uh and so it's that's i think that's a good way of looking at it right looking at it from a micro level and a macro level yeah and um yeah i just i i thought it was very compelling i don't think 64 kids make up something like that uh according to what i heard first of all that one gentleman that you're referencing is trying to make a documentary basically just about that incident and not the phenomenon. And I don't think he's gone anywhere with it. And he's probably trying to exploit those kids uh, who are not kids who are now adults. Or you could say, I guess he he was in relations with one of the, with one of the, um, with one of the, the children or one of the one of the, the now yeah, yeah the, that, the observers were, of the, the observers, phenomena yeah yeah so that had maybe something to do with it now granted um i did serve them the, uh 
I, I served him lunch at the restaurant that I worked at prior to the presentation and everything. And they were pretty, I mean, I'm just making a slight observation. So it, I could be absolutely wrong or whatever, but it seemed like they had uh intimate relationship. So that had maybe something to do with it, but yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't a, he didn't, he wasn't really a credible guy. So t to me, but not, her account was probably the most credible thing that I, that I saw that whole time. So. He will actually degrade the testimony. He will try to turn them into circus animals because, they, first of all, their stories have already been documented in a Harvard study and published. And now it's been a part of a movie. And there's no way that he well, is. This was three years ago when I saw this. Right. When I was, so. And he still didn't do anything with it. So yeah, and then he said I, he was working on it for 10 years prior. So. There's nothing to work on. I mean, he's going to try to exploit them yeah. to tell their story and try to get more out of them than what they, they've already told the whole story. They're not going to tell it better. In fact, it'll get, it'll probably get worse the more yeah. that they tell it. Right, Will? Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the things that I was going to mention was you're going to see consistencies, but you would expect to see inconsistencies, right? And a Something that's not right is if everybody is always consistent about everything because they shouldn't be because we yeah, there know there should be some variance to it. Yeah, we know that they're going to construct memories over t over a period of time, right? We call them, they call them false memories. So we know that that's going to happen. Um, so if they're all saying the exact same thing without any deviation that you know, then they're not they're all lying. Right. Um, right. But some people look at it the other way. Some people look at it as, oh, look, that that person's saying something a little bit different and that person's saying something a little bit different. You expect that to happen. You have to look at all the recounts in totality and look at what are the major the major themes that are coming out that they're super consistent about. And they're major, the, the big things, right, about the event. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you... Okay, so what I, Will is saying... Um, about this if right now if it was will myself professor felipe will's wife and katiani and fernanda and we all saw a ufo and land and had an encounter like what those kids had where we were within arm's reach of this thing for let's say a couple of minutes okay we would all have a slightly different um, story about that or a different narrative because we we're all be experiencing it in a different way every one of us would be absolutely freaking out on the inside just regardless of what we would be portraying outside of our our body with facial expressions hand gestures eyes wide open and then we would all remember it slightly differently all yeah. of us and that's well, what that's what some of those kids drew the 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 little beings on top of the craft and that other girl said it was right in front of me yeah and 100 percent. so each person is going to focus on something different because we're all we're all you know that group of people that you just described me you philippe i katiana mm -hmm. um we're going to focus on something different and not only that i mean that's the big thing about that's what perception is right so we're we're viewing the same thing, but when we interpret it from our point of view, that's perception. So our point of view is built upon our many years of experiences, interactions, and things like that. So not everybody is the same. 
So everybody's going to have a slightly different perception of what happened. Although, even though the information that we saw or whatever items that we saw were exactly the same, we just perceived it slightly different. But the, still, the major components are going to come about. And that's what happened with those kids. Basically, that, that's basically what happened. Um, also, regarding the Roswell, I spoke to you guys last time about Mac Brazel and his ranch. And so I did a little bit of research to find out where he actually lived. And Corona, New Mexico, it actually, he's not a rancher from Roswell. He's a rancher from Corona. So I did a little triangulation to figure out where Corona is. Having driven that route to Roswell, having driven to Albuquerque from Clovis and Portales, I worked in Clovis and I lived in Portales. It's 160 miles west of Portales. It is 90 miles from Fort Sumner, which is every uh, a lot of people know that that's where Billy the Kid died and was buried. It is 105 miles from Roswell. So it's not right down the street. So I say this all to point out that Corona, New Mexico, where Mac Brazel and his ranch was, was extremely remote. And when I tell you, those of you who have watched Warner Brothers cartoons with the Roadrunner and the Coyote and all that stuff, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. We're talking about very, very remote desert plains, um, high desert plains. That's where Mr. Brazel lived, even more remote than Roswell, even more remote than Fort Sumner was at the time. And at the time, I mean... This is not a guy, this is a guy who clearly wanted to live away from people and he didn't want to be able to drive to a neighbor's house in 10 minutes. Not walk to a neighbor's house, drive to see another person. That's how remote Corona, New Mexico is um, just from a little bit of research I've done. So that's not a guy that would look to go and engage with law enforcement and go and engage with the military and make up a story about a UFO crashing on his property. The fact is, is that the Army Air Corps at the time, I don't, th uh, that was the year, the 1947, ironically, is the year the Air Force was born. Uh, the Air Force's birthday is in September. I can't remember the date of the Roswell incident, but it's pretty close, pretty close in time. So, um, yeah, those guys drove out there and took control of his property, which, you know, nowadays you would probably have a rancher like setting up, you know, automatic weapons and, you know, having grenades and other ranchers come to his aid. But back in those days, people were very, very scared of uh, feared the government incursion. And so therefore, I could understand when the Air Force said, we're taking control of the scene, um, he would have said, okay. Because <laughs> I mean, uh, your life was in danger, frankly. Uh, so anyway, that's just, I just wanted to close that loop on, on Roswell. It also is the most compelling when you look from the standpoint of the rancher of folks from uh, Roswell that were called in to aid civilian authorities, police type, uh, the mortician at Roswell, 
Um, uh, Jesse, the uh, major intelligence officer, uh, who 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 said that uh, he was the one who was forced to uh, make up a story. Um, you can't really get. You're not going to get better evidence than that. That this was BS. These were people that. Right up until they were right near the end of their life, held this a secret for fear of being killed. So, and then you had the, you know people that said they talked about it on their on their deathbed. So, um, not that I'm closing the room, but I 100% believe that. Do you? How compelling was the evidence about Roswell to you, Nick and Will? Well, I mean, the Clinton administration sort of unearthing it again and start trying to sort of shed lights and sort of either debunk or sort of show the truth to it would give it some legitimacy and everything like that. And I don't know, it's just, it's just strange to have a guy pose in front of a camera with a bunch of tinfoil saying this is what he saw instead of what actually was there. I mean, you, you would figure he'd, he'd have, he'd, you'd have that guy pose with like something a little more substantial than tinfoil if it were to be believable as well. I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, I wasn't really that familiar with Roswell until I saw the, the movie and everything. So it was pretty eye opening and everything like that, but it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, not to go off on a, I'll let Will answer and everything. I'll, I'll go on. I mean, not really a tangent, but just kind of riff off. Yeah, for um, for me, it's the the separate accounts for the separate accounts. It doesn't get it doesn't get more serious to me until you have serious people either saying it happened or saying we need to look into this. Like this is something, right? So that's how I kind of look like look at it. It's not it's not that I don't believe these separate accounts. It's just a matter of all right, I need someone who's going to be more in the know or has the opportunity to know to give some kind of clue that it needs to be looked at even further because it's, it's, actually, it's actually serious. Um, but we do have aliens walking around us, amongst us, that we don't even know of. If you just look at LeBron James. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like that, DJ? How yes. old is he now? Yes, How LeBron is. He's 38 years old, baby. How do you like me now? He's just still killing people. Yeah. No, 36. <laughs> he's 36. 36 but and he's just still that's, killing That's people. ancient. That's ancient in basketball. It really is. Exactly. He's been playing since he's 18. So, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, and he's, uh, people are just waiting for him to drop off. And he's altered his game a little bit, but he's still just killing people on the court. He's a phenomenon. And I, I should promise the audience, I'm going to try not to turn each episode into a celebration of LeBron James. Um, I will talk about the New York Knicks in short order. They look great. Thank you, L.A., for giving us Julius Randle. Um, but anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> anyway, um what they did in this film that I thought was really interesting is they they gathered together what I thought formed a triumvirate of credibility. Because whether we like it or not, um, when they get a pilot who says, I saw something, and they get your average civilian person who says, I saw something, people are going to give more weight uh 
by measure to a pilot or a military pilot. And what James Fox did is he got civilian pilots who are flying airliners, not all of which are former military guys, but they are trained observers of air traffic. And just to give everybody a quick lesson about aviation lighting, this is going to be really quick. Okay, so on each military FAA airplane, on the tip of the right wing is a green light, and on the tip of the left wing is a red light. And the reason for that is if you see traffic crossing in front of you, you know whether you're looking, whether, uh, whether that traffic is going... Uh, left to right or right to left, you know which wing is facing you when you see it. The other thing that they have by FAA during night, night hours of nighttime, you have an upper and lower anti-collision strobe light, which are much brighter than those wingtip lights that we talked about that are at the edge of the wingtips. The anti-collision lights, I don't remember the candle power, and they have some specific candle powers that these lights should be. The green and red light, they don't want that to blind you. That's not something that is supposed to be super duper bright, but just that you can identify airplane going, uh-oh, that is the left wing. So now I know I'm looking at that. Or if it's green, I'm looking at the right wing, and it is going right to uh, left to right, that kind of thing, okay? The anti-collision lights, there's an upper one and a lower one. At night, they always flash red. During the day, they're required to flash white, so you would just switch from like a night setting to a day setting. So anyway, that's aviation lighting. So um, when you see a craft, whether it's a helicopter, it doesn't matter whether it's an airship. Now, obviously, the airship doesn't have wingtip lighting because it doesn't have wings, but it's going to have anti-collision lights on it. Even cell towers have anti-collision lights and things like that so that you don't hit them. Um, radio towers, all those sorts of things. So when you see... It's hard for me to apply. I, I can sort of apply something of my trained observer status, and I'm not David Fravor or an airline pilot that has 10,000 hours. I've got close. I've got almost 4,000 hours, but I'm not. I'm not in the category of a Top Gun guy, a pilot, or um, you know, or an Air Force Thunderbird or, or fighter pilot type of a dude. I'm not that that level of observer. I don't believe. Um, but I do know a little, and so I know like what I saw, it did not have that type of aviation lighting, uh, that we would associate with an aircraft. It had weird multicolor lights and was sitting there and then all of a sudden was gone and you're like, oh shit, that was not an airplane. So anyway, so that, that's that, um, so whether we like it or not, these civilian pilots and these military pilots, they, they were able to capture those guys. And the third arm of the triumvirate is that close encounter of the third kind that these kids had, uh, plus the Australian kids. Uh, they didn't give as much time to the – well, they did give some time to the Australian kids, and plus they interviewed them as adults and the science teacher. So when you have that triumvirate, two very credible close encounters of the first kind with drawings, pictures, sightings, including from an adult who was told, if you talk about this, we will kill you or we'll get you fired, one or the other. Take your pick. And 
the other, uh, the military pilots, civilian pilots, and then, of course, you had the, the missileers uh, from, uh, from um, where was it, South Dakota, from Minot, from, uh, um, where was that, in uh, Montana, and then, of course, uh, the guys over there in England at ben- RF Bentwaters. That, I think, is what they did that gave them a very, very firm standing. Would you guys agree with that? I would. I would also um, bring up the fact of uh, the government, the government programs that they talked about, like in the 40s and 50s, and they uh, they discontinued it, I think, in the 60s, I Mm -hmm. believe. And then they didn't sort of um, re, sort of reinstate that same program until the Bush administration, and then it went into the Obama administration and then the Trump administration, where it's still currently in which it's called the ATIP program now. Before, and then the 40s and 50s was called like Blue Blue Light or something. Project Blue Book ran from 61 to 69. And I just want... Prior to that, I think, too. Well, whoever... Yeah, whoever was looking at Roswell in between Roswell and Project Blue Book, so that's, you know, throughout the 50s, I don't know... Who was in charge? But yeah, they did. They did have General Ramey and some of those other guys. I don't remember the name of that that program, but they did have yeah, a program. A French scientist was consulting with them as well. A uh, Jacques Vallier or Vallier or yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but the um, or Jacques Valence, I think his name is. But um, Something the like project that, yeah. uh, Project Blue Book professor from Ohio State. What's up, man? What's up, Nick? Jay Allen, hi, Nick. <laughs> Um, who was a scientific yeah. advisor for Project Blue Book from 61 to 69. This is also what I uncovered uh, just from my own research uh, for this particular episode that we were going to do. Is I started looking at UFO sightings in the Hudson Valley of New York. And basically, uh, I found out that um, J. Allen Hynek co-authored a book with two other authors. And I'm going to... I'm going to bring this. Uh, I'm going to get the name for you here in a second, but it's UFO, UFO sightings only in the Hudson Valley of New York, and how many sightings there were, including one of the inspirations for me talking about my story was the police from Yorktown Heights, because it's only ten minutes away, because it's in the same time frame of the very early '80s when they saw a number of triangular shaped. UFOs, ironically, over Triangle Shopping Center in Yorktown Heights. Shout out to uh, AOC. You know, she's from there. Um, that I felt compelled that, you know, I, I probably should talk about it. Um, so I didn't know that uh, I didn't know that um, that J. Allen Hynek, who's that famous in the UFO community as a scientist entrusted by the Air Force to research sightings, actually came to the Hudson Valley and then interviewed a number of people and, and co-wrote a book. And I shared that with you guys. So I'm gonna just going to Google that up real quick. Uh, Hudson Valley. And see the name of it. Uh, Night Siege, it's called. It's available on Amazon. It's called Night Siege, co-wrote by uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, Philip Imbronio. It's almost like I feel like I'm saying Natalie Imbruglia and a guy named Bob Pratt. Those are uh, interviewed a a number of different 
sightings that occurred. And when I looked at the map, it's like all around uh, my hometown and, and neighboring towns. So it really freaked me out because I didn't know that, that we were a hotbed of, of sightings for UFOs. Somebody said to me the other day, was it you guys? Somebody said, do you have any nuclear something there? And I was like, oh my God, we have Indian Point nuclear power plant, which is now shut down, but it was active, you know, all through the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s. So I don't know if that had something to do with it. It's just a nuclear reactor. It's not like it's a missile site. Interesting. I mean, a lot of these sort of sightings have been in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering why maybe that may be compared to like, you know, more suburban type areas. And also, I was just curious on how sightings of today would go with the youth of today, if based on, you know, the technology that, you know, the youth has and everything that, you know, uh, a lot of these sort of sightings and sort of scenarios can be a bit more descriptive now since our technology is a lot better so i'm just curious to see and it's kind of excited to see what unearths in the next you know five years or so with this sort of phenomena especially since it's been i think more accepted now based on all the evidence that has been come come forth right now so well uh i nick i want to say real quick before i kick this over to will there is the new york times reported a fighter pilot got uh, the, the military now has a video that a fighter pilot got with his iPhone within like the last month of a sighting, like right out the cockpit window of a fighter, which is obviously all clear glass. So, <laughs> yeah, crazy. It's not been released, but um, Will, what there, you, yeah. Will, what do you think that these beings understand? Do you think that they have an intelligent understanding of what they're looking at? When they choose, like, uh, like uh, was that theory was posited, why they didn't say get out and say hi to the guys at the nuclear weapons sites, but they did with the children. Do you think? What do you think that these people know about us? Oh, that's a tough question to answer, DJ. I know, but I'm going to ask the scientist. It's like a. It's like an ant asking another ant what are the humans thinking <laughs> right right uh that's kind of my take on it is uh, if you look let's just look at how these the the craft are moving right they're basically breaking the physical laws of the earth as it relates to how the beings inside those crafts are unharmed Right. You're a pilot. You talk about just like G's and things like that. Right. And what right. and the suits that they have on and just the, what the suits do to just to keep the pilots conscious. Mm -hmm. Now, what these crafts are doing on a completely different level. Now, if they're manned or unmanned, I mean, in these cases, like the phenomenon, they're actually man craft or there's a being inside the craft. And so they're breaking fundamental laws of physics that that we understand or that we operate under on this earth so i just look at that and go they probably know a lot or if they don't know a lot they're doing research and they're kind of how we study bugs or something like that maybe they're kind of doing the same way or right and which we're still doing now to an extent so 
Um, and then communication is completely something something that's different. I don't, I don't know about that, but that's just kind of a general, the general view that I have. That, that would be my prediction about what's going on. But I'm messaging you guys a, um, a link that my brother sent to me. It was actually a sighting um, on, what was it, New Year's Eve? Wow. So just a little bit on Oahu. Yep. About, uh, and there's actually video in it. You can guys look at the video. But there were multiple sightings. They called the police, the FAA. They called the FAA and asked FAA if they had any craft in the area that they know they knew of, and they didn't. Um, there was a report that there was a, a downed craft, but they didn't, FAA didn't like really see it, right? They didn't have it on their radar or anything like that. So um, some cool things that I often wonder too, same thing that Nick said is these days, everybody has a phone um, with a camera. So these types of incidences should be, if they're as frequent as they were, as they were if the frequency hasn't dropped, Right. So there should be, um, we should have, we have a lot more cameras available to people. Um, but you guys could take a look at that. I am. Yeah. I'm bringing it up now. Uh, let me ask Nick if he has a different opinion than Will has. Will, I don't know if you were sort of angrily answering this question or if you were being facetious that you don't think that we should know or, or you don't think Americans could handle it. What is your opinion uh, Nick, on whether or not we should be privy to and know the information, or at least to a large degree, that the government knows about it and why. As far as the public, I Sorry. mean, I don't know if we should all know what was going on, but I think a certain sector of people should be allowed to know what's going on. I mean, they did uh, mention in the movie that, you know, some of the technology that these sort of beings yield can potentially help us maybe with our own struggles with our energy resources that we're mm -hmm. doing that we're sort of struggling with and environmental sort of conditions that we were that we have going on right now that are not doing well mm -hmm. on this planet that could help you know the technological sort of advances could help with that but i mean i don't know yeah i kind of side with will in general just think the general public <laughs> i'm gonna push back i'm gonna push oh a little bit on right, what nick right, said right. i mean nick for the most part said he you know like we can, we're kind of in agreement but in um this is i'm i'm half i'm half kind of joking around but i'm half serious you're joking. gonna go all sci-fi no i just kind of look at it as let's say for example you have you have a uh the, the hypothetical you just have a extraterrestrial being that comes down and says you're destroying your planet and if you guys don't stop destroying your planet you guys will be gone um, we know more than you we've seen this happen da 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 da, da right you're going to have some people that are going to push back and say what do they know they're not human beings we get to make we have the freedom to do whatever we want and if we stop using xyz that pollutes the earth what about all the jobs that people are going to mm -hmm. lose right mm -hmm. i guarantee you people will say we'll push back like that i mean that's the that's the I mean, state yeah. of how uh, people think right that. now yeah right um so that's what that's where my that's where my pessimism comes from is um 
people won't be able to handle it. People can't see beyond what they're told to see with whatever viewpoint that they're listening, that they take and what they listen to in, in, in terms of their information. Um, I think, I don't think we're a bright, I'm just gonna talk about the US because I don't know about the other, other countries, right? I don't think we're a bright country by any means. We have individuals that bring this country along in terms of technology development, right? And things of like, if you look at our, our, um, our government agencies that look, our government intelligent agencies, we have people that are bringing along that way. But if you look at the average just Joe Schmo American, we are not bright individuals. And the data will support that in terms of education and all that, that type of thing, all that, um, that type of thing. So uh, it's gonna be a cluster. And I think the smart people kind of probably already know this and maybe that's why we don't know it to an extent. Maybe that's why they're just kind of leaking it out to make, they're basically tearing the bandaid off like real slowly, I guess. Maybe that's the way to say it or maybe that's the wrong analogy. But um, we're not in a good position as a country to be able to handle anything like this. I mean, uh, I'm going to push back on some. <laughs> You're going to push back on the pushback. We're in a three-way shoving match here. Um, <laughs> hopefully Will wasn't an offensive lineman. But um, <laughs> no, I, I'm going to say that um, um, that – the idiocy of people who believe conspiracy theories or don't put credence into facts, don't research facts for themselves. So those particular individuals, be they American or not, notwithstanding, I think that the rest of us thinking people, thinking, researching, interested people should know that information and should be aware of that information and to the extent that it doesn't affect national security because I realize there are some secrets that need to be kept. That's just a fact. Uh, but that doesn't mean everything needs to be. And the fact that they snow jobbed Clinton about the 1947 incident is ridiculous because you just heard that guy, I think his name was Major Jesse Marcel, the intelligence officer, say that this shit happened. I was there. They made me do this. So why would you then go and say it's bullshit? Does he have a reason to lie? I mean, it's so silly. Obviously, the Air Force itself reported that a UFO crashed and then 24 hours rescinded it. Nobody has an explanation for that. You don't send multiple deuce and a half trucks from Roswell loaded with perimeter security out 105 miles to Corona, New Mexico to put tape around and guard a, a site and then stay there and clean that site up for a freaking weather balloon. Unless we're just all supposed to be dumb and believe something that has makes absolutely no sense. And then what they said about taking separate pieces of the vehicle and pieces of, quote, evidence and flying it to right pat to be stuffed away somewhere that nobody will ever see it. And God knows where it is now. Rogan spent a lot of time, if you guys listen to Rogan, 
trying to find out where pieces of metal are. Well, how is anybody going to know? After that stuff left the site, nobody that you're going to get on your show that has a security clearance is going to know where that stuff went. And if I found something tomorrow, literally, like right here in Vermont, if a UFO crashed and I found a piece of it, and all of a sudden the Air Force came out and cordoned off the site and the Army and blah, 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 and I gave him that, I would never see, even if I had an, an active top secret clearance, which I think I have for another month, I would never see or hear from that piece of, uh, of evidence again. So how could anybody, and Joe Rogan spent so much time asking where are those pieces of metal? Well, he's not going to know. They're not going to tell some French scientist who happens to be an American citizen now. Don't be ridiculous. Of course not. Because you know why? Because he's going to go on Joe Rogan's show and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody that knows is going to is going to tell about it until the government officially changes its position on, on UFOs, which may not happen in our lifetime unless and until it is captured on by major news organizations with irrefutable evidence and beings that like an incident like what happened in 94 occurs, except it's all on camera. Hey, man, it's like Men in Black. I think we're going to eventually get to that. I've never seen it's Men in Black, but... What? You've never I'm seen ne Men in Black? No, I Come never on. have. You but kind of don't need to. Sorry, Nick. No. What? <laughs> Dude, but you get what I'm talking about, right? You get what you get yeah. what I'm talking about. Like there's, yeah. you know, nobody that knows is going to talk about this um, yeah. at this point. But I think we should know just because it actually may help to let people know that we're not in control of everything that happens in our world. That what happens in Congress and on your favorite new cable news network is actually has acts no effect. That there is forces out there that we don't understand and will are you ready to entertain the theory that they're in another dimension that they're not entering physically and they could be entering physically meaning coming past our satellites into our uh you know into our orbit but are you ready to talk about where you think that they're coming from i mean that's plausible right so i in undergrad we you know my philosophy class was awesome in undergrad we talked about super string theory when it wasn't as uh, well known or talked about now i don't know if it's well known or talked about now but um super string theory um the one of the tenets is that there are multiple dimensions right and it's hard for us hard for us to fathom that obviously it's theoretical um i don't know a ton about it but i'm gonna my approach is always if you don't know more than you know, then you can't say no to something that it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, that's just not the smart move. You got to say, Hey, there's, I mean, it's exponential what we don't know and what could exist and not just in terms of space, time, etc. Right. Um, so we don't know enough about that. So you can't say, Oh no, you know, there are no dimension, but well, that's all a horse of doo-doo. Um, you got to leave it to the, the realm of possibility because of the amount we don't know yes and i'm going to send you if you got if you can respond to that nick i want to send 
you guys something from the To The Stars guys. So you saw Lou Elizondo. You saw Chris oh, Mellon. Yeah. I, I want to send you a podcast that I felt was fascinating from that um, from those guys. And it's a guy named Steve Justice. Steve Justice was one of the original Skunk Works guys. So one of the guys that they said, the government said, okay, Lockheed Martin, we're going to give you guys some funding. We want you to come up with some aircraft that don't exist yet. Uh, and we're, and he said literally they started out in Burbank under some burlap tents <laughs> and given a few guys and a budget. And he said something, Steve Justice is sort of this plain-talking Tennessean something, and he says something to the effect of um, something that's impossible. You, the, what you say is impossible is just something you haven't seen yet. And he said, so I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't, he phrased it a lot more intelligently than I am, but what, <laughs> but he, he did, but you have to listen to that episode that I sent you. Cause I think you'll be fascinated with it. But he said that basically he told his, uh, he tells his students, he says, um, because you don't know about it again, it's analogous to what you just said, Will. That because you don't know about it or haven't seen it, everything is is something just like that. The impossible yeah. is something you just haven't seen yet. I think that's what it was. Because people, he said there was a time in the early aughts or maybe in the, in the early 1900s when they said, wow, if you went over 50 miles an hour, your body would collapse. You know, like yeah. what they talked about with the G effect where mm-hmm. we would be, you know, if, if you put us in a craft – that accelerated as fast as the UFOs, we would be a red paint splotch on the back wall of whatever that craft is mm-hmm. because your body would just, you couldn't handle the, the starting G's. So mm-hmm. somehow they've in, insulated if they, now we don't know which of these craft are drone and which are manned and which yeah. have, have flown away at a speed that was like, so for example, what Commander Fravor saw we don't know that the kids in Zimbabwe that saw the takeoff, that that craft accelerated like what Commander Fravor saw. Mm. And if it did, so we don't know that the one that Commander Fravor, I mean, I'm fully prepared to accept that that's a drone that that, that these uh, beings from elsewhere are controlling, but that it's not manned. It's simply doing, you know, gathering intelligence for them, or right? Yeah. It's, it's possible. But if it did, then somehow they figured out how to indemnify themselves from uh, from being crushed inside of something that accelerates at a rate that would kill a human being. That somehow they've created an environment inside that cabin that is uh, of that craft that is immune to acceleration. If uh, hyperbot chambers type thing or something. something yes, something yeah. like that where whatever happens outside it that it it somehow is able to, uh, or their organs, you know, somehow they're not going to be splattered against the wall. So I don't know. Possibility too. I mean, there's species on this planet that could probably withstand more so stuff than we can. So Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But when you, 
you know, most things on this planet bleed, and so, you know, there's a certain amount of... They say roaches can uh, survive a nuclear holocaust. That's true. Yeah, you're, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, something like a ro- You're right, a, a roach, an ant. bacteria called archaea that has been around for just Millions centuries. of years, yeah. And they live so, in lava, like extreme temperatures, like they, lava or... or you know, freezing temperatures. So. There's there's so much we don't know. I do think that based on what um, that gentleman said at the National Press Club, and I, I can't recall his name now, the Captain Latino gentleman who is at the Big Sky uh, out there in uh, Montana, the um, and I can't remember the base now. Um, Maelstrom, I think, is what, what, it, what it is now. I don't know if that's what it was named back then. But I know those types of guys, and he said, he said at the end of his speech, you guys saw him. He said, you know, these guys are coming. They're looking at these missiles. They said, what are you guys doing playing around with nukes? I mean, that was very telling from that type of a person, because they, are the 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 whoever these beings are, obviously knows that that we were just a button push away from from a nuclear war, and. Um, and they were probably trying to intervene. So it's fascinating stuff, man. It really, it really is. So uh, check that out from To The Stars Academy podcast, Steve Justice. And um, I tell you what, I want to go over uh, Will <laughs> nerd word of the, the nerd word of the week. Um, so yeah, we, yeah, because um, we want to see if Will has used this word. So this is one of our favorite uh, new segments. We're going to type in. We're just going to type in our answer instead of yeah, verbally. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's no bias. Granted, I was 100% okay. on my I'll, last answer. 100% confident. Okay, so you want me to say the type word in. first and then we'll type our answer? Is that what you said, Nick? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is going to be Will's word. Whether or not Will has used this word in the last 365 days. Will's, Dr. Will Wu's nerd word of the week. Here we go. The word is ambivalent. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. Come on. Will, you can't answer yet. You just ruined it. Oh, you just ruined it for another I week. I thought okay. that was an easy one. That was my bad. That was I, my, I, was I want to let you know. I want to let you know that I was actually prepared for Will to screw up because I had a backup. <laughs> because I had a backup word. Okay. Okay. Are okay. you ready? Let's I had a backup word. <laughs> yeah, I thought you did super work for the government. I thought you. Yeah. Okay. So this is the. the I'm sorry. Oh, I am like totally yelling and screaming. I hope I don't have a neighbor in this hotel room. Okay, the Dr. Will Wu nerd word of bonus word of the week, which will now become the primary word of the week, is deleterious. Will, he just, Will, you can't shake your head, no. Oh you just gave him it again. I wasn't even looking at Will. We're pushing, t- no, but I did. Oh, you I did. I'm not going to lose $10. No. I, I, there was a $10 bet on this, uh, or at right, least a $10 Amazon $10, gift card. So. Okay. So, Will, um, through DJ, all... you got to think... You know what? Do I have to take over here? Do I have to take, get, take over these words? Okay. Here. All right. Yes, you can. 
I'm you gonna, absolutely look, can. I, I'll think of a word next week. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Word you next guys week. just think of them, or do you hear them and and then wonder? Well, here's what I'm gonna do. This is the, this is gonna be my methodology of, of okay coming up with a word. Will's for nerd next word of the week. Show. Yep. All right. I don't know if you, have, you guys have ever seen this show called Shit's Creek. It's amazing, by the way. I've heard of it. So you've talked about it every week. How could we not know about it? Right. So. One of the characters has a very extensive vocabulary. It's the mother in the show. Mm -hmm. And so there's a YouTube video of like all the words that she uses or whatever that, that, oh. that, that. so I'm just going to watch that video. So I've watched it before and I'm like, I knew like maybe two of those words that she used out of like the 80 of them that she did. So I'm going to just pick one of those words and I'm going to throw it. I'm going to just, I'm going to pick one of those words and then regurgitate it for next week's show. All right. So, I have, okay. So I have a third word that um that uh i this is going to be our show word to see if anyone on the show has e has ever used this word in conversation so uh without further ado okay ostentatious this is if we've all used it if anybody has Am used I this in conversation are we going in any particular order? Go ahead, Will. Yes, I have used that word. <laughs> okay. Actually, no, I have. I have. I have. Okay, I so have. two of the three of us. I forgot, I forgot what it means, but yeah. Okay, I don't think I've used that word in conversation. So I think it just shows that you two guys are smarter than me. Which is why you didn't wait till your fifties to graduate what's the, what's from college. What's the definition? Is it doesn't it mean it's something? Really oh, hard? I think it's something like um, it's hard to do or something. It, no, it's like if someone were wearing. Uh, let's say uh, you, like you you went out to dinner and someone was wearing a shirt that was extremely loud for the the company you were keeping or the place okay. you were going. You might say. But yeah, I'll look it up. Am I right, Will? Or someone in in the in the public eye in this country probably has his home designed with gold everywhere crystal everywhere yes that kind of thing pretentious uh, or vulgar display yeah. especially of wealth and luxury intended to impress or attract notice so because, because we're going to talk about reality shows sometime soon here next oh, yeah. next show Next yeah, show. We're, we're using nice. that word when we're describing uh, there's a you don't have a lot of Asian representation in reality shows. But oh, there's a new one called The Hose, yeah. right? And the so hose. that's what we were talking about when okay. uh, we were talking about it in reference to to that House of home. Ho. Yeah, their home in that and mm -hmm. that in that show. I didn't see it. I just saw some highlights of it because I was curious. That's that chef, right? How ostentatious there. Uh, House of Ho. It's a yeah. it's a family in Houston, isn't it? A, yeah, it's a Vietnamese family. Vietnamese family, yeah. yeah. So um, that ought to be interesting. In fact, uh, Gracie Baja's Mike Trini, who is a student of Draculino, was in Destin this week, rolling at our, our academy. I wasn't there because I'm not rolling yet. Because uh, I think I I like I told you guys, I think I hurt my shoulder rolling over Christmas again. <laughs> But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Mike Trini is a Vietnamese uh, gentleman, very successful businessman. Um, Gracie Baja Brown Belt, at least maybe black now. I gotta check. I don't know if he. I he might be brown. 
But uh, Mike Trini owns Mike's Seafood in Houston. If you're ever out there and he is extremely proud of it, he works extremely hard. And it is a big seafood place where you can get all that kind of Cajun seafood and a little bit of Vietnamese flair. And Vietnamese are just very huge in the community there in, in Houston. Oh, yeah, for sure. They so, do the way they do crawfish. I, you know, grew up in Southern California, I, I didn't eat, I didn't right. ever have crawfish until I went to grad school um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And then I was exposed to crawfish. And I love it, first of all. I'd rather have it than shrimp. I'd rather have it than, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Well, I'd rather eat crawfish than shrimp. Um, but they do it, you know, traditional crawfish. You just put, they have their own specific Cajun spices that they have in there. But the Vietnamese can, does a crawfish style off the hook. <laughs> way better than the traditional. Well, I don't want to say it's way better. I mean, if everybody's from the South, I'd probably like try to vandalize my home or something like that. But it's really, really good how they do their, uh, how they do their crawfish. And, um, they do um, their crab and shrimp in similar ways. So that the spin that they put on it, it's legit. It's really good. Yeah, um, it, it, it really is. Um, the, uh, the Vietnamese have just, you know, absolutely killed it down there and really made Houston their, their home. So it is something, um, something to be proud of. And I think I just got an idea that we need to have um, – that we need, to, we need to get him on the show. We need to have Mike Trini – uh, on the show, I think that's something that we've got to do. So, um, yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah, and we can get some Vietnamese representation here, so we don't let you know you guys just like take it over for all the Asians, man. We need, we got to get uh, uh, somebody Korean and, and somebody Vietnamese on here at least, as a minimum. at the very least. Because yeah. heaven forbid a Chinese, Mexican, Japanese representation. I don't think it's enough. Not enough. I, 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 yeah, Not I really enough. don't. I really don't. I don't think Not it's enough. you know. So no, I'm just kidding. So I know you're, and I think I saw like on Facebook a photo of um, of Will and his sister and brother, and what a great photo that is. Will, is that right? Is that you and your brother? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I have a younger sister by 13 years, and then an older brother by four years. Are we are we dressed up? Um, I guess so. Yeah, you guys are kind of dressed up. Yeah, I think, yeah, that was probably yeah, as my cousin's my cousin's wedding. And it was, um, yeah, it was awesome. It was ridiculous. Like, that was great, man. I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed seeing that. So, all right. So then next, maybe next, yeah, I'll get a hold of Mike. I know that he'll come on. So we'll talk to Mandy Slutsker of uh, her reality podcast. Let me make sure I get that right before we sign off here. Um, let me just go to my Twitter real quickly. Um, because I get confused with it. I know people who have podcasts, but I get confused on, on, um, oh, here it is. Mandy Slutsker. Okay. It's, it's, it's real life and it's question mark with Mandy Slutsker. Is this real life with Mandy Slutsker? So, uh, I like it. I like it. And she has a, a such a, a, these guys are really good at taking cute photos. And I love her, um, what she says on her Twitter handle is, Global health advocate, hashtag Bravo TV connoisseur, dog mom, avid Vikings fan, proud Jew, and host of the It's Real Life podcast. Views are only mine, she, her. So I, I love it. I love it. What a 
a lovely lady, very, very well-spoken, and we are extremely lucky to get her on to talk about some Vanderpump Rules business, to talk about what happened with Tom Girardi and the danger uh, that he and his wife from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Erica Jane, uh, the government is investigating them for fraud um, and basically more or less um, stealing money from his legal clients and he had one of the most powerful and from what i heard this week on podcast one of the most feared law firms in la is now uh down to fifteen thousand dollars in his bank account uh so yeah um so we're gonna have to do some work to get ready for mandy and then maybe in the last uh we'll we'll do that for maybe 20 30 minutes and then we'll get on to some mma talk MMA will be back. It'll be UFC weekend, and we could talk about all the new matchups, Justin Gaethje, uh, Charles Oliveira, uh, Dustin and Connor, et cetera, et cetera. What else is there, Nick? What else was announced? Uh, Max Holloway, Calvin Cater, I think, is the next one. I think that's the 16th. That's next week. Yeah, Blockwitz and, then, and Israel. Yeah, is and it, then the one it? after that is... Yeah, is it true that the McGregor Poirier fight is for the belt? No, I don't think so. Yes. Well, is I thought it, it was. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think Maybe it I'm is. wrong. I think, I don't know. I don't think it is. I think if it was, people would start to talk about it a bit more and be like, who's going to be the champ? But I, think, I don't know. I think that's still up in the air. They might announce that prior, potentially. I, but I think that would be ridiculous. And Chandler, Dan Hooker, um, yeah. I if Chandler thinks that he's gonna win the belt and entice Khabib to come back is like Did you say that? Yes. I can't think of anything less that would make Khabib wanna come back than a guy coming from Bellator saying, Oh, I just beat Dan Hooker, you should come back and fight me. Will react to that. <laughs> All right. All right, That's so if he beats Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker could put a beat down on him true 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 i'm yeah not easy to take true. down all right all right all right guys we got to get out of here um i want to thank you so much i want to thank my friend from new york kenny good for uh coming in and talking with us and um i want to thank dr will Wu for putting up with all this craziness nick kazono for coming in late but coming in nonetheless I and uh, <laughs> no, it's okay <laughs> i appreciate you I appreciate you. I really do. Oh, I and um, no, nah, it's all good, man. It's all good, brother. And um, uh oh, what's going on? Don't worry, Nick. It's gonna be me soon. <laughs> You'll have a more legit, probably reason, like you know, helping a student, family stuff. Yeah, Mine and was, it. Uh, oh, I can't. Read yeah, that. large French fries that I needed to eat. Like it could be that too. And will if he doesn't have a better excuse, he'll make one up. That's that's the difference. <laughs> so, <laughs> we got right. Funkorama. Where's uh, Funkorama? I I I didn't locate it, but what I did locate oh, from Daytona Beach, Florida, Greg and Dwayne Allman, the Allman Brothers. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, for Doctor Will Wu, for Nicholas Cazano, kind of Japanese, Chinese, Mexican co-host. Man, <laughs> for Dr. Will Wu and Nick Kazono, it's DJ San Marcos saying peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road. <laughs>